Good morning. Welcome to our service of worship on this Palm Sunday. It's great to be back in church, and I hope that we're going to be staying here and that the restrictions will slowly lift as time goes by. But in the meantime, can I remind you that you're to keep your masks on throughout the service. We're not allowed to sing. And at the end of the service, we will wait for the elder to direct us out this door, not the door that you came in. There's a plate for offerings at the door and also palm crosses for you to pick up to remember Palm Sunday by. And also badges. If you've had your vaccination, I've made some badges that you can uh, wear with pride to let people know that uh, this vaccination is the way that we're going to get out of this pandemic. When you go outside, please do remember to keep your distance from one another, even after the service. If you would like prayer after the service, please just stay in your seat and we will come to you and pray with you, if you'd like that. I'm delighted that Bill Buchan has kindly offered to lead our service this morning, and I'm looking forward to what God is going to say through him. Once again, I want to thank those who contributed to our sung worship this morning, and a special thanks to Iona, one of Bill's daughters, who joined with our regular singers to produce the recordings of hymns, specifically this morning for Palm Sunday. Iona also provided the flowers, so double thanks to Iona for this morning's service. There are various things happening throughout this week, it being Holy Week. Beginning tomorrow, the moderator of the Church of Scotland will lead morning reflections every morning that you can access on the Church of Scotland YouTube channel. On Thursday, we will gather on Zoom for a look at the Passover meal and how it relates in a fascinating way to all that Jesus did in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And for Good Friday, I've pre-recorded a meditation on the last seven sentences of Jesus. You can find that on our YouTube channel. If you're watching um, on the recording, you'll find links to all those things that are happening during Holy Week in the description of the video. Next Sunday is Easter Sunday, and we will celebrate communion together. If you're at home, you can join us as well. You are welcome to join us. Please just prepare your own bread and wine or juice. Bill's going to lead us now in our call to worship. Good morning, everybody. Like that crowd in Jerusalem who shouted, Hosanna, we come this morning to offer our praise. And just like the crowd who waved their palm branches around, we offer our worship. And just like Jesus, who came riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, we too come humbly into God's house today. 
And we're going to sing our first hymn, Seek Ye First the Kingdom of God. Let us pray. Lord God of all time and space, we're glad that we're able to meet together for the first time in months. And it's a wonderful feeling to be here together. And we realize that we're somewhere between those hysterical events on the first Passover in Egypt, and that joyful crowd lining the streets of Jerusalem. We're excited, we're happy, and we're more than ready to offer our worship, to welcome Christ once more as our King, our Lord, and our Savior, to be able to promise once again our love and our loyalty as we greet him with wonder. Loving Lord, come to us again this morning 
speak to us through the familiar words, the well-loved hymns, as we recall that triumphal entry to Jerusalem, the holy city, and as we remember all that it meant and cost. But help us also to see that it was not only in the welcome shouts of Palm Sunday, but also in the rejection which followed that Jesus was able to reveal your glory. So help us to offer him our service in the days that lie ahead, through good or bad or difficult or easy times. Lord Jesus, when you were greeted with shouts of joy and welcomed as God's promised deliverer, we remember that. But we also remember that when the nature of your kingdom became clear to the folk, the attitudes changed. Those joyous shouts of Hosanna turned to cries of crucify him, crucify him. And the hands of friendship became fists curled in hate. We rejoice that you come into our lives. We welcome you and have accepted you as our Savior. But sadly, we too can quickly change our tune when you overturn our expectations or you don't act as we expect you to or hope. When your ideas are different from ours, so we too, even while pro professing our faith and trying to show our commitment, can push you aside, preferring our way to yours. And so we ask, Lord Jesus, that you will have mercy on us. And on this special day, we are reminded how easy it is to shout, Hosanna, and welcome you as King of Kings but how hard it is to walk that Via Dolorosa, the way of the cross. And so in our time of worship, assure us again of your love, your mercy, and your forgiveness, as together we say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And although we've got no young folk with us, uh, because it's being recorded, hopefully some of them will see it. Uh, and looking back over the past year, one of the things that I've missed most has been the library, although it's been open at different times, uh, not being able to get new books to read, and that's been frustrating. I was even forced to read 
a history of the church in 1,100 pages. <laughs> so it shows how desperate I was at, at one stage. But I've read other books that I'd passed by in the past, and that's been good too. I wonder if you realize where the first lending library in the world was and is. It's in Persia, a place called Inapefri, near where I lived in Ochterarder. Lots of visitors still go there to browse through the old books and, and see the, the, the place. And there's a lovely little chapel next door that you can visit as well. But borrowing books has been a great uh, lifeline for lots of folk. But of course, there are folk who borrow books but forget to bring them back. I read recently of someone who returned a book to the library after 20 years. I wonder how much the fine was. Borrowing and returning and not returning can be very annoying. My wife's uncle, who was an artist and did a lot of the, the early art for the Iona community, used to use letters and illuminate them and illustrate them. And this is a prayer that he did from folk who borrow books and then forget to give them back again, from other folk not fit to live, who mix the verbs to lend and give and add my volumes to their hoard. Oh, save thy suffering servant, Lord. And that sums up a great deal of the, the feelings. And Shakespeare also said, neither a borrower nor a lender be. And yet as we come to this time of year and look at the, the, the story of Palm Sunday and what followed, we realize that Jesus was very good at borrowing. He borrowed a little boy's packed lunch with marvelous results. He borrowed a boat and used it so that he could preach to more folk around the seashore. On the last day of his life, he borrowed a room so that he could have a family meal with his friends. And here on Palm Sunday, he borrowed a donkey. I suppose Jesus could have done without the donkey. But he felt it was necessary, so some disciples were sent to fetch it. But one thing we should remember about all the stories of where Jesus borrowed things, when he gave them back, he gave more in return. The little boy's lunch fed 5,000 people. The boat owner not only heard Jesus' sermon, but a lot of other folk heard too. The man whose room was borrowed to provide the Last Supper was essentially the first Christian church. And even the donkey became the most famous donkey in the whole world, the Palm Sunday donkey. And so today, all around the world, thousands and millions of people will remember that Jesus borrowed a donkey. But he also wants to borrow you and me. Because he wants us to do things for him. Probably nothing big or spectacular, 
Just simple things like the wee boy in his packed lunch. But Jesus will do what we lend him with marvelous results. And now we're going to sing a hymn that tells us all about that event. We we'll sing the hymn, Hosanna, Hosanna. Let's now hear God's word for us this morning. This morning, we begin reading um, Psalm 118, verses 1 and 2, and then on to 19 to 29. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Let Israel say, his love endures forever. Open for me the gates of the righteous. I will enter and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord through which the righteous may enter. I will give you thanks for you answered me. You have become my salvation. The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine on us. With bows in hand, join in the festal procession up to the horns of the altar. You are my God, and I will praise you. You are my God, and I will exalt you. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. And now we read from Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. Jesus comes to Jerusalem as king. 
As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there, with her coat by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. This is the word of God. Thank you very much uh, for those readings. In the lead up to today, Mike has been taking us through the early parts of the book of Exodus, the, the freeing of the slaves and the beginning of their journey to the promised lands. And I suppose if, if we were to do a remake of that famous film, The Exodus, to tell the story again, I thought what scenes you would incorporate in that particular film. I suppose the starting point would be the royal palace in Memphis on the Nile Delta. The picture there would be Pharaoh and his entire entourage. They're angry, they're devastated, they're distracted. Opposite him is the, the renegade prince Moses and some followers. That tenth plague that threatened, that was threatened by Moses' God had wiped out the cream of Egypt's young men. And finally, that was too much for Pharaoh. Heartbroken, he agrees to allow the slaves to leave. They're free, free. But had they any idea what that word meant? Had they any idea where they were going? All they had ever known was the, the, the Nile Delta, slavery, harsh treatment. And so they celebrate with a hasty arranged meal and they gather whatever they can, whatever they can carry to get away. No real order in it, just a mad scramble. 
I imagine it's a bit like the chaos that we saw on our television scene, screens when the Berlin Wall came down and folk were rushing backwards and forwards across what had been no man's land. That first Passover saw a disorganized mob, drunk with the heady wine of freedom, rampaging around, being, for, being urged to gather together and begin that long trek to the Promised Land. It happened in Egypt. It also happened in America at times when the, the slaves were freed. It happened in the times in Scotland of Wallace and of Bruce. But the freed slaves remembered things. They remembered as they traveled, and they have kept on remembering ever since that hastily prepared meal and its meaning. And that particular night became the focal point of Jewish worship. And the Passover is still being celebrated today in much the same way as it was on that very first occasion. It begins with the prayer known as the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and mind and soul and strength. A thousand years later, in the time of Jesus, the Passover was still a major event. And 2,000 years later, it still is for the Jewish people a reminder to them of how God had intervened in human lives to rescue his people. But the interesting thing is that Jews do not see the Passover as a historical event that they celebrate. They see it as a contemporary experience. When the Jews recall the Exodus and the, past, and the Passover supper, they speak in the first person. It's I and we, not you and them. The implication is that they are reliving that experience. And the present day fathers do it when they're explaining things to their children. An old rabbi told his followers that he not only remembered the exodus, he could tell you who was standing next to him at the time. On that very first Palm Sunday, there was a huge range of feelings. There was anger, apprehension, there was excitement, there was hope, and there was despair in equal measures because of that turmoil of religion and politics, hatred of the Roman oppressors and their compliant friends in the hierarchy of the Jewish faith. Into all of that, this prophet from Galilee had come. The place was buzzing with rumors and speculation. Something was going to happen, something was bound to happen. After all, this was Passover week, wasn't it? But what, what? 
And it all kicked off on that Sunday in Jerusalem, as we shall see later. But first we're going to sing another hymn, very familiar hymn of this time, Ride On, Ride On in Majesty. We'll stand. Let us pray. Almighty God, as we turn now to listen to what you have to say to us, may we understand your word and be ready and willing to walk in your way to your honor and glory through Christ our Lord. Amen. For a text this morning, I want not to turn to the reading from Matthew, but one from, from St. Luke. It happened just a wee bit earlier in the chronology of things, but in Luke 9, verse 52, it says, Jesus set his face resolutely towards Jerusalem. And I suppose as we think again of all the events leading up to Palm Sunday and what followed, we've asked the question ourselves, surely there was another way an easier way. And like the disciples, we would feel inclined to say to Jesus, don't risk it. 
stay here, gather more followers, and it'll give you more bargaining power with the authorities. I think we've all had that kind of experience. Stick to what we've got and give it a chance. If we're honest with ourselves, we've all known times when things began well, and then for whatever reason went downhill and downhill fast. Even for us as Christians. And I would encourage you to steer clear of all those folk who would sell you a brand of Christianity that sounds like an insurance policy against anything bad happening. Because Jesus said exactly the opposite. He said, if you follow me, you may have to carry a cross. And that's what's involved if we're going to make that journey to Jerusalem with him. Oh, it's true, Jesus said, if you follow me, you shall have life. But he says, you may first have to lose it. Very strange, contradictory kind of message, isn't it? A message that tells us that the gifts that we receive are always the byproducts of our faith. Remember Pilgrim and Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? When he went looking for the gifts, he found nothing. But it was only when he returned to his original task of the pilgrimage, going from place to place, that all the gifts that he needed were supplied, often by the folk that he met on his journey. And that was emphasized in our very first hymn, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. That's a kind of teaching that we ought not and cannot ignore. Meaning is very clear. Life is, or it can be, difficult for all of us. It's been difficult this past year in respect of the pandemic. And we know that. There's no way getting around it. But whatever else, the Bible is realistic, not idealistic. It constantly makes us face the truth, sets the truth out before us that we can't miss, however unpalatable that truth may be. At some stage, each of us will be in that situation where our options are stark. Limited. We can hide our heads in the sand, as many folk do. We can try some escapist route, and there's plenty of these on offer. We can sit and complain, or we can face the problems head on. And we've seen all of these possible answers being used and are still being used during the pandemic. The solution is found when we believe what Jesus says and act accordingly. 
That text says that Jesus set his face resolutely to Jerusalem. And that's a lovely turn of phrase, isn't it? Jesus was up in the north in Galilee, in his area of uh, friendship and power and influence, far away from the hotbed of intrigue that was Jerusalem. And if you've ever been there, you know in Jerusalem you can feel the atmosphere around you, pushing in on you. But you go up to Galilee and it's open and free and a lot easier. But the lure of the holy city was too strong. And he knew that he could not complete his ministry without going there. So he set his face resolutely or steadfastly towards Jerusalem. Like Captain Oates in the Antarctic with Scott, when he sacrificed his life for the others, I'm going outside. I may be some time. He knew what was happening, and yet he still went. And that takes courage. It took a strong will for Jesus to head south to Jerusalem. But he did it because he knew that someday you and I would have to face that same kind of journey. And you may already have done it. And you know the truth of his words. You know what it's like to face your demons, problems that aren't going to go away, burdens you can't shift. If you face up to them, you may not get what you want, but you'll get something better, what you actually need for that situation. All the Gospels make it perfectly clear that come what may, Jesus has to go to Jerusalem. The pool is too strong. His ministry in Galilee has worked well, but in the background there have always been spies reporting his every move, building a case against him. Knowing this, and despite knowing this, Jesus has to go and face them. And when he broaches the idea of going south to Jerusalem, the disciples are horrified. No, 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 you can't do this. That's too much of a risk. They know the score. And when Jesus begins to talk of cross and sacrifice, that's too much for them. But that is his destiny. And so when the time comes, Jesus acts. Perhaps this is what he meant when he said, you'll find your life only by losing it. It's very easy to make a mess of life. It doesn't take a great deal of skill, just weakness and a lack of conviction. On the other hand, making that journey to Jerusalem marks you out as Christ's. And so we come to Palm Sunday. All the gospel accounts tell of Jesus riding into the city on a donkey, a sign of humility, not arrogance or brute force. 
And that wasn't by chance. It was carefully planned and staged for the maximum effect. Jesus had heard all the rumors. He knew the gossip. He sensed the atmosphere in the holy city. He knew what the mob wanted. They wanted a king to make that nation great again. Free it from the Roman yoke. He also wanted to get rid of that parcel of rogues in the nation that were the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees. But he threw them all off balance by coming in lowly pomp. Oh, that day they had a great demo. Flags waving, branches thrown in the streets, much singing and shouting, just to see in lots of demonstrations today. Relatively peaceful, not like the mob seen in Egypt earlier. But as the day drew on, the folk began to drift away to go home for the evening. Because this was not a decisive battle. This was just a, a skirmish, a bit of shadow boxing before the real fight. And by the middle of the week that's coming, Judas had made his move. And the authorities were watching for the right moment. All of this was being played out against the preparations for that event, the great event, the Passover. That holy time when they remembered back 2,000 years to the exodus and the start of the journey to the promised land. Unlike so many other families and friends groups, Jesus gathered his friends around him for that Passover meal. But this time is different. Jesus takes that ancient ceremony and gives it a new impetus, a new meaning. That centuries-old Passover now becomes the Last Supper, commemorating not the escape from Egypt, but the release from that far greater sin, that greater tyrant sin. Jesus made his move knowing that he's going to keep his promise. He walked the narrow streets of Jerusalem, the tall buildings that hide the sun, but he walked with courage, with dignity, and with compassion. And even later, on the cross, his concern was for other folk, for his mother, his friends, and even the thieves beside him. This is what Palm Sunday is about. Jesus confronting the powers of darkness, not to save us from taking that same journey, but to give us the courage to take that journey on the road to Jerusalem. That's all the encouragement we need. That's our hope. That's the Christian way. Perhaps we should go back to that old rabbi for whom the Passover was a live event and he remembered who was with him. Perhaps we can think of Palm Sunday in the same way. If you can do that, as you watch Jesus riding into Jerusalem on the donkey, 
Can you recall who's standing beside you? As Jesus goes by to bring you and me life. Amen. Thank you, Bill, who is standing beside us on Palm Sunday, who gives us hope. It is Christ who has journeyed here before, and we walk this way with him. Let's bring our prayers before God. This past week, we saw the anniversary of the present pandemic in our land, and we reflected on the great tragedy experienced by so many. So many have lost loved ones, well-being, and livelihoods. And at the beginning of this Holy Week, this week that begins with people misunderstanding you, Lord, and a week that ends in you being mocked, beaten, and hung on a cross. We are made aware that you've never sugar-coated life in this world. Lord, you were always a realist about what we face. And yet you saw a way through the pain and misery and out the other side to a resurrection morning. Help us to never be complacent about the lengths to which you needed to go for us, that we might understand how deep our problems are, and that we might understand the depths you would plumb to redeem us from them. So today we bring our concerns for ourselves and for our hurting, needy world. We hold before you the neediest of places, and we continue to remember before you, Lord, the Yemen, Syria, Afghanistan, and Myanmar. Lord, in these troubled places, we ask you to grant your peace. Give them peace with justice, we pray. We pray for refugees from these lands and other hotspots around the world, that they would be welcomed by nations and people, including ourselves, We pray that our leaders would not act just from political expediency, but with compassion and mercy, especially towards, towards the poorest and the dispossessed in all of their decisions. And we hold before you folks who suffer from chronic illness, for whom every day is a struggle to breathe or move 
or be free from pain. Lord Jesus, God who was familiar with suffering, we ask that you make yourself known to these folk today. Make yourself known as a companion, a hope giver, a healer, and as their redeemer. We hold before you those known to us who have suffered loss, loss of something or of someone important and loved. May their longing for what is lost be turned into a desire for your promised kingdom, that kingdom where there is restoration, reconciliation, and unending peace. And finally, we pray for ourselves as we walk the road with you to the cross over this coming week. We ask you for a shift in our thinking. Help us to understand you, our world and ourselves, a little bit or a lot more. Lord God, grow in us a commitment to the way of the cross and the empty tomb. Make of us all better followers of Jesus and agents of your kingdom in our world, in every place we find ourselves, in every hour of every day. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn this morning is another great hymn from Palm Sunday. All glory, Lord, and honor. Let's stand and sing.
just before the benediction, remember there's palm crosses in the vestibule as you go out. Take one yourself, and you've got to know any children, take one for them as well. There should be enough for everybody. Now as you go back into the world in the strength of Jesus, he will go with you. May his blessed, blessing rest in all you do this week and bring the meaning of the cross home to you once again. May this be a holy week indeed, with the banner of, of love over you all and what you say and what you do. May you enter into the depths of his passion this week, so that you may rise to new heights with the risen Christ. And may grace, mercy, and peace from the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be with you and your loved ones now and forevermore. Amen.